For October 23rd, 2023, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 799. That's not me, but should that be me? Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The Overthinkers are your smart, funny friends from the internet, never happier than when we are hanging out together and uh, talking about uh, the things that we enjoy. 799 episodes. I think we just leave it here, guys. I don't think, yeah. I think, I think this is the last, I think this hang is the up. last one. Let's hang it up. You know, I'm Matt Rather. I'm here uh, with my good friends, uh, Pete, Pete Fenzel, uh, Ave, Ave, Atke Vale. <laughs> hail, hail, hail and farewell, my friend. What a great thing for the last episode. Oh, of course. Of course. You want to go out on top, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, well, and, and you are on top because first in the alphabet and first in our hearts, like, uh, like we used to say back in, back in the old days. Mark Lee is also here. Mark, how are you? Uh, I've been on a journey, Matt, and I'm back. Ooh. Um, tell me about how, it. That's how I am. Tell me about you, it. Was it, was it a, uh, yeah? Let me, let me, let me ask you a couple know? questions. Was it a journey by air? No. Was no, it not. a journey by land? Um, a very short portion of it, by which I mean like my cab to, uh, the place where the vehicle left. Vehicle. Was, was uh-huh. it an, uh, an ATV, a hovercraft, no. a helicopter, a, uh, what, what journey have you been on Mark? And would you tell us all about its cultural? I, I have been, I have been on to, a Disney to, cruise to Matt. the mountaintop. Oh, sorry. Uh, on a Disney cruise, right? Yeah, which, which is in a, in a way. A mountaintop, of a it. cultural mountaintop. For, a it's, cultural it's, mountaintop. It's definitely a local maximum. Oh man, uh, the, the, the ship is enormous. It's freaking tall. I mean, it's not quite as large as you know, tall as the Manhattan skyscrapers uh, against which it was it was docked. Uh, by the way, I was referring to it as a very short cab ride from my home to the cruise terminal to make the whole thing very uh, doable and much more pleasant. Than, Wait, like, where, God forbid, where is flying. the cruise terminal? Is it downtown or is it in in the Hudson or is it like where is it? It's like uh, it's like in the forties on the west side. Wow. Okay. Again, a ten minute cab ride from where I live. Yeah. Extremely convenient. Uh, but that's not what we were talking about. I mean, yes, I could go on and on about the various logistics uh, um, uh, of the journey. But return to the culture, the cultural temple that I visited on the high seas, and the many things I experienced within. Would you like to know more? You have questions for me. <laughs> where, like, where should, how should we start? Because there's a, so so many things to talk about. That's a Starship Troopers. Uh, would you like to <laughs> yeah. come to Disney? And and I've always suspected that, like Starship Troopers, uh, Disney cruises are a little bit fascist. I don't know, Pete. Do you have any burning questions about the Disney cruise? So okay, let me just situate myself here a little bit. Yeah. Is it a Disney cruise because it is run by Disney? Is it a mm-hmm. Disney cruise because it is? Uh, it involves sort of a Disney branded experience. Is there a way in which a style of cruise is endeavored upon in a Disney manner that other cruises are not? What is a what is that which makes a cruise a Disney cruise versus not a Disney? Right, cruise? like when you when you play shuffleboard, do you play shuffleboard in a particularly Disney way? <laughs> um, you might. That's a good question. Okay, so as far as I know, Disney cruises is, is first party. Um, it is run by the Walt Disney Company or whatever its you know main corporate entity is called. Um, uh, Disney themes run through and through, although as best as I saw, not all the way through to the shuffleboard. Um, and most importantly, the passengers are all there um, vibing to Disney. 
Let's put it that way. Um, and uh, that applies to both the adults um, and the many, many children who are on this vessel. Um, does that answer the question, Pete? Like, you know, it is like very much like a product of the, the Disney industrial complex. Um, it's okay. not like, you know, Disney inspired, uh, you know, unofficial, like, you know, show up and like, you know, wink, wink. It's a mouse cruise uh, for kids. Wink, wink. It's not that at all. No, no, no. It's very, very Disney. And like, also importantly, what makes it a Disney cruise is the uh, beyond all the kind of the, the, the pop culture and the, the, the IP that infuses the whole experience is the hospitality. Um, okay. You are attended upon to the point where you are being surveilled. Which I believe I haven't been to Disney World in a long time, but I believe that at a Disney theme park you're you are very much being surveilled <laughs> and watched. And maybe not pampered in quite the same way as you are on, on a cruise boat. Um, but hospitality, um, a, a very high level of hospitality, an almost suffocating level of hospitality <laughs> and customer service uh, is very much what makes a Disney cruise a Disney cruise. Is it like you you like don't when the when the pina colada shows up after your last pina colada is, you know, after you just like slurp the last bit of your pina colada, that's that is somehow oppressive to you to have your drink refilled with such alacrity. A, a little bit okay. in a strange way. <laughs> make me ask. It's, make me ask for my next pina colada. It's kind of hard to describe, but let's let's talk about the culture stuff, and and we'll kind of you know circle our way around to, through the customer services. Because I think the cult, the cultural stuff is, uh, for me and probably for our listeners, the most interesting aspect of this, right? Um, so where to, where to start? Okay, um, you 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 spend we spent four days in this pop culture you know Disney temple. Um, we. Uh, you know, Disney music, not surprisingly, is is piped in, you know, on the on the on the background music throughout the the vessel. Um, the kids' activities are all Disney themed. They got the Star Wars stuff as well. Um, costume characters are roaming the boat. Um, you know, my uh, two year old, uh, going on three year old, um, was personally escorted into the nursery by Minnie Mouse herself. Okay. Um, and Wait, the, put the real on... Minnie Mouse or someone who works for her? <laughs> <laughs> that's a good that's a good question, Pete. I mean, like, you know, it was a custom character of Mickey Mouse. Um, for all intents and purposes, it is the Mickey Mouse. I'm also wondering, by the way, total tangent, do they have like multiple Minnie Mouses roaming through the boat at the same time, like occupying different levels? Because there are like 13 13 levels on this thing. This, I'm sure like the, the kind of the old, of passengers. the old spacing system on the New York City subway where like a car could occupy a zone and whether a car was like two inches into the zone or, or, you know, 200 yards into the zone, that zone was, you know, belonged to that car, which I think, I think that accounts for a lot of delays and, and some of the old, uh, signaling and on the New York City subway, right? Like I'm sure they have an elaborate system of zones, like I'm sure each mini is tracked via a, like a global positioning system that uh, that establishes that mini's uh, relationship to all the other minis, um, right? And that's uh, you know, I, does I, sorry, did she hear us talking about mini? Mark and want us to uh, <laughs> want us to to come back. No, I'm just, uh, like uh, D- Disneyland is like fantastic. Well, I I know about it with Disneyland and like the parades. They're they're fantastic at the you know large scale coordination of a lot of small 
elements, which is kind of one of the things that makes them so great experientially. Like on the electrical parade, they knew like the status of every uh, of every single light bulb. Peter, you're a big Disney parks guy. I know you like me have not been on a um, on a Disney <clears throat> cruise, but did you did you do like uh, Orlando as a kid? Well, I did. Yes. So I've been to both Disney World and Disneyland, but a long time ago. Uh, we were much more of a Bush Gardens family than a Disney World family. It's much closer. Uh, and we'd stop there on our uh, road, family road trips uh, elsewhere. So, of course, Bush Gardens in Williamsburg, Virginia is the old country. Visit the Muffin Man who lives on Drury Lane, like that kind of thing. Um, and uh, so it was a sort of um, do, theme do, park do you know? Do you know the Muffin Man? <laughs> Or do you merely know of the muffins? <laughs> right. So, 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 okay. So when thinking about theme parks, we obviously, I think we probably even talked about it on the podcast that a bunch of us went to Sesame Place fairly recently. Uh, I went to Disney World and Disneyland when I was a kid. I haven't been back since. I haven't really thought of it as a priority. It hasn't been something that's been high on our list of things to do. Um, maybe in part because going outside has seemed so novel and going places has seemed so novel the last year or so that uh that venturing that far hasn't seemed necessary it's like wow this is the store isn't this amazing but i guess there's the question of like what is the relationship between a theme park and reality in that is the theme park a controlled space that's providing for you an imitation of a place that you imagine that you would like to be like oh i wish i could be in that place and now they've created this place that's an imitation of that place for me. Or is it a particular sort of place that has a, a flavor, right? A sort of cultural flavor, uh, a kind of poetry uh, to it that's associated with a particular sort of realm of ideas. Um, I guess when we were in, uh, when we went to the Nickelodeon Experience Place, the Nickelodeon theme park at the uh, American Dream Mall in the Meadowlands. Uh, which which has a bunch of uh, we uh, you know we did the blaze of the monster machines ride we went to the Paw Patrol playground right like there's there's I'm not feeling transported to a blaze of the monster machine episode it's like the cars are are flavored like the blaze cars and so there's an experience that is the mechanical experience of the things the machines I'm engaging with I guess that's part of it right is that theme parks are mechanized. And sh and ships are mechanized, although I suppose the experience of motion on a ship isn't the experience of mechanism. Uh, so I guess that, that that's the thing that strikes me most about a Disney cruise, which is when I think about a theme park, I'm definitely thinking about 19th century style industrial machinery that has been gussied up with poetry and art to evoke different sorts of uh, stories, familiar stories familiar ideas, uh, a sort of a thing for the, the child that has a sort of simulacrum effect of uh, a reality that they have sort of uh, can sort of be conjured into. Um, but when I think about a boat, I don't think about the like the pivoting hydraulic arms. I don't think about the sort of uh, zigzagging, you know, airport waiting lines that have then been kind of flavored with TVs and, and decorations. I think about like being in the water. So I guess that's my question, Mark is like, what was the role of the water in your Disney cruise? Cause that's the part of it. I'm having difficulty wrapping my mind around. The water um, is 
pretty um, inessential to the experience. Okay. Oh, see that 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 surprises me because for me, I would feel like if I I've never been on a cruise, but I've been on you know whale watching trips and I've been on boats and I'd be like, wow, the thing that would be most exciting for me would to be on the would be to be in the ocean. Here's the main thing um, that the water does. It allows you to be on a boat, and the boat is an excuse for it does two things. It's yeah. mainly an excuse for density. And that kind of packs everybody in. <laughs> with tight oh, well, that sounds space. charming. <laughs> um, I mean, it kind of is, though, right? Because like, there's always kind of an, a, um, a, a sufficient, like, critical mass of people who are um, able to do activities and also, like, you know, form a crowd to experience, like, you know, the the the, the Halloween little mini show that they put on in the atrium. Um, it, it does that. It also allows for Mickey and Minnie to wear nautical themed outfits. And for uh, all the kind of the tchotchkes that you get to be nautically themed, <laughs> like, okay, like I mean, like, okay, the boat, the being on the water, also like you know, it takes you to the island of Bermuda, um, which if the weather was nice, you could get off and like you know, go to a beach and stuff like that. But it wasn't, so we didn't really do that. Um, but let me go back to like kind of like the experience and the density piece, and also to your point, Peter, I like, you know, it's not this isn't a theme park. It's not um, uh, about rides. It's about being immersed in the cultural uh accoutrement um and uh characters and intellectual property of disney right you're on a cruise ship there's density uh you can go to the movie theater and um watch any number of disney movies latest indiana jones live action little mermaid guardian of the galaxy you know didn't have anything star wars playing actually it was an interesting omission there um and there's there's a movie theater there's character experiences there's uh crucially um, various kids clubs where you drop the kids off and inside there there's like you know the various disney themed things they can play with and, and video games and things like that and then kind of capstoning all of this here is um several like live action shows not quite full-on two and a half hour broadway musicals um but a theater that seats uh it's all like thousand or so people right you know like uh, some notable portion of like the two or three thousand uh, passengers on this ship um can all get together to see like an hour and 15 minute version of beauty and the beast on stage and it's uh because it's disney with the capital d and they've got the 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 money and the critical mass of people to 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 do this they can hire uh, as they are very fond of calling it broadway caliber performers and a broadway caliber staging and so you're like you're seeing something that is very very high quality not like chintzy um what, what people might have what what i had kind of like associated me i've never been on a cruise before but i heard about i'm gonna like you know something cheesy kind of second rate um entertainment on a boat no 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 no, no. no this is like very very high quality stuff um and again that's kind of like you know just kind of flowing from activity to activity um it, it just like it, the experience of everything kind of packed in there makes it easy to be stimulated by something disney basically around every corner um it is kind of hard to describe but like again that's like you know uh something structured something unstructured stand in line get your picture taken with Minnie mouse um go to arts and crafts um kids are singing karaoke and you know in the next room um that's uh you know that's not explicitly disney themed but of course a lot of the kids are singing disney stuff um there's bingo over in the next room, and that's just bingo on a cruise ship. By the way, a little bit of a tangent here. Apparently, when you do bingo now, um, you can pay extra to get um, bingo that's just straight up on an iPad. And here's the worst part about it is that you get better odds of winning <laughs> when you go that route, um, which feels kind of wrong. 
And also, this is about as close as the Walt Disney Company will get to uh, sanctioning gambling and any of their properties. So that was a whole fascinating thing as well. But um, again, you're kind of flowing seamlessly from activity to activity, and a lot of it is Disney-themed, and some in small ways and in some things in very, very big ways. Pete, is that kind of getting um, communicating some of the sense of the experience here? Yeah, I mean, you're making a lot of kind of comments about it that make it sound miserable, but it doesn't sound like <laughs> no. Like it's all, it's all. I, no. I, wonder, I worry. We all had a great time. Worry. worry is the wrong we, word. Yeah, it's more like, are we so? Is is there a sort of expectation here? Is there a sort of hegemonic discourse here that this is supposed to be miserable that you're sort of falling into? No, there's um, a hegemonic discourse that is supposed to take you to the, to embody the Disney magical fantasy. For okay. several days. That is absolutely what's going on. And that also then eventually starts to um, uh, clash with the reality of like being um, in the tight quarters with a lot of people and a lot of children right. and families who, frankly, probably had, you know, some challenging situations at home and are trying to escape them or, you know, be transported away magically on a cruise ship and find that they are still stuck with the same problems they had on land and are kind of screaming and cursing at each other. Um, that does happen still. On a Disney cruise ship. So, you know, you've, you've got that uh, attention at play. But again, by and large, everyone is kind of like uh, on the same vibe, on the same frequency to do the Disney thing, like dress up yeah. in costumes for uh, for Pirate Night um, or, you know, for the next night after that is just general costume. Um, uh, uh, costume night, and so, they're okay. Yeah, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Oh, I just want, I wanted to ask because we've been talking about really the really pressing and critical importance of deep lore in modern storytelling lately a lot. And I, I wanted to, uh, what is the, what is the world building magic system rules for the Disney magic on the Disney cruise? Like, is it a thing that emerges from belief? Is it a sort of thing that comes from the weave? Is there a metaphysics to it? Does it have to do with kind of language? Like what is the, where does the power of Disney magic come from? That's a great question. Um, before you get on the boat, um, <laughs> before there, you get on the boat okay 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 you know in, in the either let's you, say you say, you say or, goodbye to Samwise for a little while because yeah. he's going to stay with Rosie yep. you've got two or four or in my case 40 some odd years of living on this planet earth and being um, uh, you know constantly barraged by Disney pop culture entertainment so just an example of this right it's just like kind of inescapable we didn't set out you don't set out to be Disney parents I mean, like, you know, you know, you all know me, right? You know, I enjoy my Disney songs. I've hosted a Disney sing along in my apartment. So, I'm, you know, at some, uh, you know, upper 50th, 50th percent, beyond the 50th percentile in terms of uh, Disney fandom. But like, I don't say like, you know, I'm going to have Disney kids, but um, family friends, uh, you know, uh, as gifts for my then one year old child, um, not even one, like probably six months. Bring over huge, like three foot tall Dis- uh, Mickey and Minnie stuffed animals um, as gifts. Right at the time, they dwarfed my uh, my my infant child. Um, but uh, lo and behold, right the the, the six month old turns into a four year old, and then a, a, a two year old comes along, and they grow up Mickey and Minnie, just like big Mickey and Minnie um, in their room all the time. And then comes you know just the, the outfits that are gifted or handed down are are that. And, you know, and then, uh, you know, of course, you know, the 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 TV shows and movies come along with that. And it just kind of happens like water flowing downhill. So does the Disney uh, uh, pop culture flow into children? And so you've got that priming going in. And 
Um, and once you get on the boat, and this, this brings the the customer service aspect um, back back in, into playing the hospitality. Um, you give your name to the crew. You you enter the boat, by the way, into like a fairly large atrium, a grand atrium with a big staircase that again, like you know, conveys that uh, Disney princess, all that fa- fantasy fairytale stuff. You see Mark, it right Mark, there. Sorry, quick point, yeah. point of order. Do they invite you to be their guest? Um, in, in no, in some in so many words, yeah. Um, like that song does not break out, uh, but it it, it kind of should, right? That's a bit of a missed opportunity. Anyway, but, but what they do though is still pretty great, which is that they get your name and then they announce it over the PA, and so like here comes the the so the McKenzie family, and then like there are like twenty crew more or less like standing at attention, applauding you and you know and greeting you as your honored guest. As if you are a you know a, a Disney uh, monarch of some sort, um, and you, you enter the boat in grand fashion, like you're and, a, a and then visiting... within, within minutes, you know, again, like you know, you 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 basically stump, can't help but stumble across a costume character, um, and the, then the children are ecstatic and delighted to see them. I mean, that's so like fun. with all that with like, like all this like you know the again like the the, the, the heavy lifting. Um, the priming happens before you get on the boat. And then once you're there, um, there's kind of like just that the appropriate constant gentle pressure of Disney stuff and like making you feel special that uh, that kind of establishes the culture. Do you I mean, we're we're I'm sorry, I, I have something serious to say, but were any of your uh, were any of your fellow passengers assholes? Um, I only saw one person who's objectively being a, a terrible person okay, and kind of like, you know, uh, cursing and, and being rude to staff and, and, and his children oh. at the same time. Um, well, that's part of the experience as well, by the way, um, which uh, is not by no means like, you know, the main objective of a cruise, but kind of inevitably happens is that you're just in this panopticon fish, fishbowl and mixed metaphors here. Of looking around other families and constantly thinking like, you know, um, how are they parenting? Um, that's a choice that they're making. OK, um, I put my kids to bed at nine o'clock and I'm roaming the the, the ship at eleven o'clock and their four year old child is still running around like his head's cut off. That's a choice um, <laughs> so, <laughs> that that's a very interesting experience there as so well. You get, you get to be judgy is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes. You do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that's part of the Disney magic (laughs) 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 is judging yourself against others. It seems like part of it is relationships of acknowledgement and importance uh, that are multi-tiered between children and and adults, I guess. Is that sort of part of the, the, the dynamic here where the kid gets this. I mean, also thinking back to my own experiences, both at Disney and in other places where you don't think of this as the kind of thing that might exist in the real world and kind of regard you personally. You think of this as this larger thing that you kind of partake of. Uh, but then all of a sudden it's there and it's present and it's with you. Right. You know, I have the videos where, you know, um, the, the performer dressed as Cookie Monster is laughing with my son. And so there's this sense that that it's with you. It's not just um, it's not just that it's Cookie Monster in that case, uh, or in this case, it's not just that it's Minnie Mouse. It's that Minnie Mouse is paying attention to you. And it seems like with the parent too, there's the acknowledgement of kind of the status of your family uh, as being elevated by this hospitality that's being uh, coded mm. in ways that like in a Downton Abbey esque manner. What was the Downton Abbey moment of your Disney cruise? <laughs> <I guess? laughs> 
is what I would ask. <laughs> is there any sort of conversation you had while you were there that really seemed to give you a doorway into interpretation for the entire rest of the experience? Yeah, let's put it this way. So uh, directly to the Downton Abbey point is that, you know, because you're being waited on um, uh, constantly by staff, um, it's, it's not just that you're constantly waited on by staff. Also, you get attached to the same set of servers um, through multiple meals. Right. This is mainly lunch and breakfast and lunch are very casual buffets or things, but dinner is like properly seated. Um, Black tie. And uh, very casual, thankfully. Right. That's something that I heard that I heard about cruise ships. It's like, what is there a dress up night? Do you have to like bring proper hard pants? I was like, no, no, you don't. Um, you show up in shorts. It's fine. Uh, even at the quote unquote royal palace, <laughs> which is like, you know, the uh, uh, the fancy themed restaurant um you can show up in shorts it's fine i showed up in shorts anyway the down abbey moment is when um two nights in a row where they very earnestly impress upon you to fill out the comment card the customer service survey um and you're listening to this happen and you know they're going on about just you know like just this please just like i hope you had a wonderful time on the cruise and just let us know in the comment card um we'd really appreciate it make sure you drop it off you know on, on the boat on your way out and you're listening to this, and it's like, okay, all right, these guys, their compensation is totally 100%, not 100%, but you know, in a very large part tied, and their livelihoods are very much tied to the outcomes of this survey here. And um, you know, the uh, the the magic of the experience, and you know, the the, the very earnest and thoughtful um, attention and service that they provide, especially to young children, and how they. Um, almost like uh, have a supernatural way of detecting when um, the kids are starting to get antsy and they'll come in and swoop in and pay attention to them. All that very much is in service of their own paychecks and then in turn in service to, um, you know, the money-making economic machine of Disney. Which, by the way, that, that, that uh, to pivot a little bit here and talk about something a little bit different, maybe we can talk about the cruise ship as well. Like this, this you have this interesting kind of duality as you're sitting on the cruise ship and you're just, um, completely immersed in the awesome, uh, the the awesome unyielding power, omnipresent power of Disney, and all of its amazing culture, and how they've uh, through sheer force of will and insane amounts of money have willed this cruise ship and uh, like a thousand crew members into existence and convinced two or three thousand people um, to uh, have this like very Disney experience. You think like they have power that is got truly godlike. Um, this is uh, uh, awe-inspiring and likely eternal. And yet, you know, the real world outside of the boat is that the Disney company is uh, under extreme pressures from the fundamentals of its business model and just hemorrhaging money on uh, on its streaming service and has very doubtful futures in terms of its television business and its its theatrical also is like not. Um, putting hits out reliably in the way that it used to, like notably many uh, major box office flops, and uh, you know, and, and they, you know, they're faced with all this uncertainty, and like they have to sustain all this at an incredibly high level, and then like somehow make it grow, which like boggles the mind, right? Like you know, they 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 are counting on my children to be Disney kids, um, and in a particular way, at a degree. Which might not be possible anymore because uh, no one's a Disney kid like uh, like we were Disney kids back in the eighties and nineties because you know what they didn't have in the eighties and nineties TikTok and YouTube anything like we anything about, they didn't have yeah. anything 
Nothing. We grew up with nothing. I mean, I, I like you, I trundled a hoop down the street with a, with a stick. Yes, know, this beating. is how we rewound our VHS tapes, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> the stick of the hoop. Definitely did that with the cassette. You put a pencil in there and you, you know, budget, budget rewinding, uh, budget rewinding machine. Mark, I, because uh, I'm your friend and also a jerk, I gave you some uh, assigned reading to do on yes. the, on the quiz. Did you do uh, your assigned reading? I did do the reading. So uh, what we're talking about here. This is a, I don't know how you found this. This is an article by David Foster Wallace. It's fa- it's fa- um, I found it online. I found a PDF of it online. Uh, it's anthologized. Like, it's in like one of his books of uh, one of his books. Oh, of okay. Essays, you know. Okay. So this this he wrote this article for Harper's Magazine about the the cruise experience. Um, and it was before he wrote Infinite Jest. Actually, I don't know if you caught that, Matt. Like uh, um, like you, it was his first cruise. Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, David Foster Wallace uh, is also name checked on overthinking many times because he wrote a very interesting essay about Terminator 2 huh. <laughs> about how he thought it's terrible. <laughs> um, and uh, he writes about his own cruise experience that it is uh, kind of wonderful and terrible at the same time. No surprise there. Right. And he's got a very kind of, you know, detached, uh, but um, you know, still earnest uh take on uh on the experience and dissects it and uh you know tries you know realizes that you know in fact he he is not you know just there dispassionately reporting on the on the cruisers he is a cruiser himself <laughs> um and like is caught in this um expectation trap where like you know your expectations are very high and that they're intentionally set so high that they cannot possibly be met and that's why you have to go back and do another cruise again because you're chasing the high um so yeah that that was the uh that was the assigned reading i read uh, the all 20 pages of this uh <laughs> intense cruise navel gazing while i was on a cruise myself um That's... and it was the cause for cause for reflection myself as well too it was like you know am i detached from this am i a disney person like these other disney people um you know like because you're, you're judging right <laughs> you're judging the other parents you're judging like you know the the the, the 40 year old adult man you know who uh is decked out head to toe in disney regalia as well and, and he's got his all family all in matching outfits i'm like um well I, that's not me uh, but should that be me it's pretty, should it be thankful that it's not me it's pretty clear to me mark though that you have something that that none of them have which uh, is a, po- a, a podcast? podcast yeah exactly <laughs> so you're 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 there as a member of the media you're reporting and and are thus you know uh are the superior to to all who you all who i mean you you're, you're, you're joking matt but like you know uh uh, I, I'm sure the content creators are plentiful on the vessel, uh-huh. you know, whether it be they have a podcast or a YouTube channel. I didn't see anybody like, you know, your your story from your European vacation where, you know, you had like the very um, earnest Zoomer with the selfie. Well, I don't know what you know, the, the, the vlogger kind of thing going right. You know, where they're just like in the museum and like very ostentatiously grabbing video footage and that sort of thing. Um, I, I didn't see anything quite like that. but. Uh, I mean, how could there not be, right? Right. It's just, I like. You know, I, I, I thankfully like have not um, been subject to this in my YouTube algorithm, but I'm sure if you know if you search Disney Cruise, like you'll get uh, you know a lot of that um, content creator stuff. Oh no, I take that back. Okay, there was one person who was uh, I think like live streaming on TikTok or you know whatever Instagram or something like that um, a certain event there, and uh, I was not so pleased that uh, that she was pointing the camera at one of my children. Um, but it kind of came and went in a moment. Um, so that's for all I know myself, uh, or a, uh, and or one of my children is, uh, is viral on TikTok. Could already have happened. 
um, could be huge. They're good. Right they're, dis- they're, they're disfluencers. Disfluencers. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, I just thought, I mean, that, that David Foster Wallace essay is, I think it was called something else. It was headlined something else in Harper's, but when it was collected in a book of essays, it's called, I think the book was, it was called this also is the title essay. It's called uh, a supposedly fun thing I'll never do again. Um, but will you, mm. will you go on the cruise again? Mark Disney, sure. Disney or otherwise, you're a cruiser now. It I'm unlocked, a cruiser now. I'm, I'm one of these people. It unlocked your, it unlocked your inner cruiser. I've, I've never been a cruise. I'm a cruise virgin, you know, and that's, uh, I don't, I don't have a, a burning desire to, uh, to lose my cruise virginity. Um, Pete, do you, do you, do you cruise? I kayak. <laughs> a little bit <laughs> i'm much more into the boat being in the water man that's that's the part that throws me off is like why get in a boat that that's big that's in that much water and have that not be the a really front and center part of the experience <laughs> I'm, I'm understanding a little bit so to address that a little bit more um we did have a a, a, a balcony uh in our in our uh what do you call it cabin in our state room Okay. Um, so we did spend a, a decent amount of time just kind of sitting there and gazing out upon the vast, empty Atlantic Ocean, um, which is a amazing sight to behold. I mean, there's nothing there, right? It's just it's just waves and horizon and, and clouds, but it looks amazing because you know, just like you know, my my feeble landlocked brain has never really uh, um, uh, witnessed anything like that before. Um, so there is that. Um, Pete, you say you oh. say a boat in that much water, and and I just I feel duty bound to point out, Pete, that well, actually, uh, every boat in the ocean is in the same amount of water. <laughs> all the boats are in all the water. All the bo- well, all the oceanic boats. <laughs> anyway. You could be in a, a, a lake, you know, yeah. and that's that's less water for sure. But um, I mean, unless you consider like aquifers and like uh, you know the 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 system of uh, evaporation and uh, precipitation that, you know, and then, then I guess all the boats are in all the way. I mean, we're all in, in a way, aren't we all in all the water? All the 15% time? of boat riding in 85% of water. Yeah. Exactly. So each, each of us are. Yeah. <laughs> and then are we, and then, and 5% of Disney, right. Or is it like 40% of Disney? They yeah. say that your body is, you know, two thirds water. Right. But how much of it is Disney? Is uh, ask yourself about your own Disney cruise. Oh. Mm. Uh, one other thing about about the water specifically, uh, which is that um, even three days after getting back, my body still has this inner ear disruption where if I'm sitting still, I feel like I'm rocking back and forth. It is very strange. Um, and that just kind of like is the the ellipses, like the dot, dot, dot at the end of the very long sentence um, of the Disney cruise and how like, you know, your mind and body, you have been transported, um, and transformed in a, in a, in a very kind of fundamental and deep way. And, uh, it, it sticks with you <laughs> a few days after it's weird, man. It's weird. But yeah, to answer your question, Matt, like, are we going again? Yeah, we're going to do it again. We have to pause it down. Oh, um, wow. Okay. Wow. Like, okay. Cause like, this is how, right. They, they catch you, right. You know, they sell you on the fantasy, it is impossible to live up to this fantasy, and therefore, you know, you're you're craving the next uh, 
the next hit. Mark, if you if you um, and if they, they give you a discount, you put it. You put oh a, yes, no a deposit they, discount for the next one. They try to sell you a timeshare, Mark. Resist. It's not. It's not worth the free breakfast. <laughs> no, no, it's no, not no, no, worth no, no, the free no, no, breakfast. No, 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 no pay money for to get a service to unload the timeshare from them it is it is truly truly heinous um so that i mean that's sort of interesting i like i mean i'm really taken with your description of you know get getting the costumes and and the things the you know all the the paraphernalia and accoutrement that because we we talked last week about um our Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle costumes when we were all children. And, you know, they were all like, uh, Pete's was made of poster board. Mine was made of a laundry basket. Uh, <laughs> Mapalinkis with the shell. I mean, Mapalinkis was made of the, the top of like, uh, of a, uh, trash can, you know, of like an outdoor, uh, big, big trash can. And like, uh, that strikes me as a very different, very different way of kind of participating in, you know, um, in 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 Catholic theology, we say we uh, we join in God's agency, right? Like, with, and you sort of you sort of join in Disney's, you join in Walt's agency, Walt, join in Walt's agency. There yeah, it is, exactly. Yeah. Like to uh, to be these things, but like when you're joining in the the sort of turtle agency, you're you know it's it, it seems like it's a much more DIY affair, and like the the a lot of people I knew like homemade you know super budget turtle costumes um and they they were sort of glorious in a way whereas like when i'm getting uh when i when i go to the the disney parks which i do from time to time because they're they're here in in southern california um and you see like a a you know three-year-old girl in elaborate uh elaborate princess outfit it's like my my prom date didn't have a dress that was that that my my oh. wife my wife on our on our wedding day didn't have a, <laughs> a, a dresser you know tiara or you know i don't know like uh bejeweled you know hairpins or something as as elaborate as that i mean it seems like it seems like that you know the kind of the consumption is um the consumption is go you know is a good uh uh, is is the way that you participate in in Walt's agency, the way that that your spirit is joined uh, yeah. with the spirit so, of Walt through, yes. through you know prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. Um, Emphasis indeed. on the almsgiving. So, I'll, I'll I'll offer up a couple of uh, pieces of evidence that back that up. So first is the Disney Princess piece, um, which is that you can pay extra, you can book a very popular uh, extra activity. For your child, presumably, you know, for girls, although, you know, I was wondering, it's like, you know, if a boy wanted to do it, they wouldn't turn boy away. Right. But it's a it's a princess makeover. Right. It's called the Bibbidi Bobbidi Boutique. Um, and uh, they the the girls get done up in um, an elaborate princess gown and the makeup and the tiara and uh, a scepter. Even it's a lot. It's quite a lot. I'm not going to pass judgment. Right. Like, you know, and I will also be very honest with you when we do this cruise again in a couple of years, the odds are pretty high that my daughter's going to wind up doing this. But it's a thing. It's like it, it, it is a fascinating phenomenon. And um, you can go into discord. You can you can judge me or judge other people uh, that do this. Um, but um, it, it, it's um, it's very popular. 
it's very popular. The kids love it as well. So there's that. Um, and the other um, piece around consumption has escaped my mind as I started to talk about that. It'll come back to me. Um, if it comes back to me uh, in a little bit, I will uh, uh, reiterate that. But um, yeah, it's it's it, the it's not that like you know there are like lots and lots of elaborate costs. Not every costume was elaborate in that way. Like you know, certainly people brought their DIY game to it. But uh, that uh, well, I guess to the point, right? Um, I, I don't believe you can go on a officially licensed and endorsed Ninja Turtles themed cruise. Um, perhaps you should. That'd be amazing, right? Uh, they I would pizza for every meal. I mean the whole um, every every gangway you know in the in the the ship themed to be a um themed to be a, a sewer a New York City sewer you know <laughs> maybe with smells piped in to uh, you know complete the illusion. And then the crew are dressed as members of the Foot Clan, and you can just like punch them whenever you want to. Right, absolutely, the kids can. I mean, the adults we're, can. You know. We're sitting on a gold mine here, guys. The, <laughs> the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cruise. I, yeah. I, I do it. like the idea that in the Ninja Turtles cruise, you do things that the Ninja Turtles do. But in the Disney cruise, you seem to not that often do things that the Disney characters do. Like, there's no point where you have to, like, kill a dragon. A of, well, I was going to say eat a bunch of peanuts and then have some chipmunks yell at you and steal <laughs> your food. But, like, you mean kill a dragon? Who kills a dragon in the Disney thing? Uh, it doesn't, in Sleeping Beauty, doesn't uh, the prince kill. Maleficent, who takes the form okay. of a dragon. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So that that was the one. That's the one Disney moment that really feels emblematic to you of like what Disney is all about is when Maleficent is killed. Yeah, and uh, and kiss. You don't have to. You don't have to like kiss a sleeping woman. You know. <laughs> with all the with all oh, the okay, so you know, participatory things you can do aside from um, being dolled up like a Disney princess. It is it is highly um, discouraged to kiss a sleeping woman. I just I just want to put that out there. Don't don't go around doing that. That's not. <laughs> Whether you're on the Disney cruise or not, please just don't. That's not. A, that's not. You know. I know the prince does it. Just assume you're not the prince. All right. Um. So old school Disney is there, right? So in like the not the the Beauty and the Beast stage the stage show, but the, the kind of the Disney through the years uh, review type of performance. Um. Uh. The Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs are, are certainly represented there, and um. At the, the cap off that sequence, they got seven children from the audience um maybe like around six seven years old or so you know enough to to keep it together on to hold hands with the performers on the stage and come out you know just 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 to be there wearing a a white beard um i think of a pointy hat um while the cast is and uh saying whistle while you're working and i danced around them um so that it did offer up that level of, of participatory um, uh, involvement in the Disney experience. There was the aforementioned karaoke as well, which, by the way, like an elementary age child who's not musically trained gets up there and tries to sing um, How Far I'll Go from Moana in front of like 100 people in a room. That's quite scary and difficult to do, by which I mean, like, you know, that particular elementary age child doesn't yeah. do a very good job of it. Um, but hey, you know, the experience is there. That's that's because of some of the leaps, some of the melodic, you know, some of the mod- melodic leaps. That's not it's, an it's easy melody. Rhythmically challenging as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's highly syncopated and also like those those fourth and fifth uh melodic leaps are not not uh not super easy to do for for adults even. 
So my participatory thing on this, and maybe we can uh, uh, close out my experience with Disney Cruise here, and then uh, should we can pivot and then take some questions. Sure. At, after this, um, we'll so op- of course we'll open up the phones. Yeah, there's there's adult <laughs> there's adult karaoke as well under Disney because it's a cruise ship, right? Of course, it's going to be karaoke. On you, a why did why'd you bury the lead like that, man? <laughs> <laughs> if there's karaoke on all cruise ships, why am I not on a cruise ship right now? <laughs> I mean, karaoke in years. You should, you should go, Pete. You should go on. You should go on this cruise. Let's 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 go on this cruise. You've Couple described years. it as a hellscape. Okay, maybe the karaoke story will convince you. Okay, so I, I get up there. Um, I, I bring the house down with the rendition of "Born to Run," um, as I'm wont to do, and then for my second act, I, I get up there and say, um, the "Folks, we're all Disney fans here." Um, so I think we can all relate to the feeling of uh, trying to keep the dream of the 90s alive. And I proceeded to sing Don't Look Back in Anger by Oasis. <laughs> that felt really broken. And I would like to think that my fellow cruisers, my fellow passengers on the Disney voyage appreciated that um, little self-aware dig. It's nice. Why did, but, you get two, why did you get two songs? Were you so universally acclaimed that they... The host- th- Told me that I had to come back and sing again. Oh, okay. Got I'm it. only doing as uh, you know, as 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 the very hospitable staff um, suggested, encouraged, and commanded me to do. No, <laughs> commanded me. No, noblesse oblige. <laughs> yes, exactly. I was going to say you are experiencing that the uh, the castle lifestyle, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as the king, as the king of rock and roll, you know, it is like you have certain mm-hmm. obligations, right? Like, uh, and as we've learned from the crown, right? Like, even when it's not, you're still the monarch, even when it's not fun. Uh, well, Mark, I'm 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 glad you're back. We had a we had a fun turtle cast without you, not because it was without you, but in your absence, I mean. Uh, but uh, it would have been more fun had you uh, had you been there. But I I understand that uh, you don't you don't do our budget DIY uh, podcast stuff. You're you're only doing uh, you're only doing high end Disney entertainment from from here on out. You know? Yeah, pretty much. You know, I have a I wished upon a star. Oh, um, that's nice. And all my dreams came true. That's excellent. It's my life now. Um, so listen, we, uh, we're doing the 800th episode, um, next week. We're going to talk a little bit about the show. Uh, I mean, we're going to talk a little, we're going to like look back a little bit and we're trying to, to navel gaze, you know, to an extent where it doesn't become insufferable or we don't get, you know, completely high on the smell of our own farts, but it's, you know, it's worth kind of looking back, um, because, uh, we're going to commemorate together, you know, 15 years uh, of the Overthinking Podcast, which started in the fall of 2008, and 800, uh, 800 regular, uh, 800 regular episodes. Um, most of them, the the lion's share of them, the, in fact, the the overwhelming majority of them, uh, in the weekly, uh, the weekly sequence that started since um, since uh, episode 13. So, like, uh, that's that's nice, and and I I like it. it. It's a pity that this is our last episode, right? I just I, I think you know I'm it's feeling, not really our last episode. What <laughs> I'm feeling I'm feeling good about this one. I feel like we're going out. You know, it's nice, like going family, on top. Yeah, going on top. You know? <laughs> we're just family, riding that cruise ship into the sunset. <laughs> family togetherness, right? Like that. You know, that's. Uh, um, so, uh, I, I put out the call on, on, uh, Discord, on the Overthinking at Discord, um, to ask if, if anyone had any, any questions. And like, um, I'm, I was so touched by, by like any questions that we could answer or any, you know, things that would be interesting to hear the overthinkers reflect on for, uh, you know, on the occasion of, 
of 800, 800 episodes. And uh, we got more than we could possibly do, you know, in, in number 800. We also, we, we have a question of our own that we're, we're going to sort of organize the episode or, uh, around. Um, but uh, so, you know, let's, uh, let's do some of these and let's do some of these now. Um, let's do some of these now. I mean, I think that this is like a good, uh, you know, good opportunity to, to burn off a few of the, a few of the questions that don't, that don't, uh, necessarily make sense to do on the, uh, on the big, the big episode. But, um, I, uh, I, I also like that there have been a lot of questions of like, you know, after years of hindsight, like which of your predictions, uh, do you, do you have come true or which, which of your predictions do you no longer stand by like, or, or, uh, want to revise or which of your, your like takes reviews, opinions, um, do you either, you know, have, have either proven out or, or do you want to revise? And, and this, the funny thing about this is that it presupposes a level of like clerical responsibility that I promise you is not, uh, uh, is not, uh, happening, right? Like, uh, not no, clerical responsibility, but just like, you know, very strong memory and awareness. I, can't. Right? I don't know about you guys, but like, I'm kind of, I enter a, I enter a fugue state when I do this podcast. <laughs> right? Yeah, like, I can't remember what totally I said conscious. Yeah, 20 minutes ago on. rather than, you know, 20, 20 weeks ago or 20 months ago or uh, almost 15 years ago. Like, I, I don't know what my opinions are. I mean, I, I probably don't even have the same opinions that I had. Uh, I had this morning. I know, I know that I was fond of saying early on in, in the, the podcast that I, I feel like the kind of the profound social shift in my lifetime has been from a, a, a model of Americans as citizens to Americans as kind of consumers, right? Uh, expecting good customer service in every, um, you know, in every interaction with, uh, with everything. Um, and I feel like that one has been borne out. That one is, uh, is, uh, is good. Um, I don't know. Is there, does one, uh, does one occur to you, uh, either of you that, that you feel like is a good, um, is a good candidate for either kind of doubling down on or revision? Uh, Pete, I'm sorry. I shouldn't just throw it out there. Why don't we say, why don't we start with you? I mean, I guess unlike you guys, I also have just been scrolling through the old podcast summaries and just remembering all of these different shows. Um, I I will say that one thing that I regret looking back in terms of a choice is that a bunch of these episodes that I wasn't on, I really wish that I was on. You know, like I really wish that I'd been able to see everything all the time, everywhere, all at once. Oh, uh, like you all guys did, like, which I just didn't yeah. get around to seeing. Yeah. Uh, and there's definitely little things here and there where it's like, oh, what was my take on that? I don't remember. And it's like, oh, I wasn't on that one. You guys got to do it without me. And that made me that makes me sad to look back at the missed opportunities. And you would think with 799 of these, plus all of our special one offs and stuff, that wouldn't be the case. But I will say one thing. Um, I'll, get, I'll say two things. One, for a long time, I have said on this podcast that the best show on television is Guy's Grocery Games. (laughs) (laughs) I will say that has at this point stopped being the case. Oh, wow. I'd say it it probably stopped being the case in like 2022. It was probably true for most of the run of the podcast. (laughs) But then like Guy's Grocery Games did this whole thing where they really transformed during the championship season. and And then now it's kind of back to normal and there's just there's just definitely it's lost a little bit of what makes it special. So I would say that we are currently living. I know we sort of exited the golden age of television some time ago, but we've more recently ended 
the uh, golden age of the first 36 seasons of guys grocery games oh. <laughs> into a time when the show seems to have seems to have taken a step away from what makes it special. I will say that the forced inclusion of Guy Fieri's son Hunter is part of what makes the show really difficult now. Uh, I think everybody I, who watches the show is that he I not, talk does to, he, is he like uncharismatic? Oh, oh man. Are we actually going to get to talk about this? Oh boy. Um, yes. Yes, he is. He is. His role on the show is very confusing because it's it's my theory was that he started appearing on the show during covid because if because he lived with Guy Fieri and if he had covid and Guy Fieri had covid like they probably had covid at the same time. So he wasn't somebody that you had to worry about like, oh, this guy is going to cancel on me because he's going to test positive for COVID and he's not going to be able to make the shoot. Right. And then like, he probably filled in a bunch of times for people who got COVID that we didn't hear about. Um, but yes, like he doesn't have uh, a sort of on camera uh, energy or, or a kind of talent that you would expect from a Fieri. But then you remember who Guy Fieri actually is versus the sort of hair and the shirt, which is one of the things that sort of comprom- you know, comprises the posy of the Fieri verse is the sort of tension between, you know, who, who just the whole thing about his appearance on the next food network star, like who he would have been if he had tried to be himself and who he became because he, you know, he performed, uh, he performed what people wanted to see. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's just, he, he has no particular role in the show other than to stand there more specifically. He doesn't really express a very strong perspective about his father or point of view about his father being there and him being his son. And so the dramaturgy of it is very alienating. Like, like he's not charismatic enough to justify himself being on the show. And they, as a father son duo don't have a clear enough sort of dynamic or, or dynamic relationship to make the duo make sense. Uh, you know, because you would sort of there should be like one that's high energy and one that's low energy, but they're all both kind of like very chill with each other. Right. You know, or, or one that's one that's tall and skinny and one that's short and fat, like Abin Costello or. Yeah. One that, and Guy know. Fieri's a little slimmer than he used to be. So maybe that used to be the case. Hunter Fieri's pretty skinny, which is like, why? You know, <laughs> like, does he even like to eat? You know, yes, does there's a even, great question. Does he even, does Hunter like- <laughs> even like to eat? If we're at the point in Guy's grocery games, we're asking that question. Like this is a show that more than any other show has been spending time answering that question. Do people like to eat? Yes, yes. <laughs> they do. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, so I think that this passage is part of what I would say is the uh, is the we we talk all the time at my ho- household about what it would take for Hunter Fieri to feel like he had a place on Guy's Grocery Games that was like watchable, like that was really good. Uh, and I don't know if we've come up with any solutions. I think having a good a really strong perspective on his dad is the both the thing that he would never do and the thing that he would have to do in order to elevate the dish, so to speak. Um, but yeah, you know, <laughs> let's let's know. elevate the dish or, or kick it up a notch, as they used to say yeah. in the old yeah. the old mm. stand and stir days of the Food Network. Yeah. Okay, so so for me, uh, we are consumers, not citizens. From Pete, guys, grocery games no longer the best show on television. <laughs> recently, uh, though, just recently, the last two years, <laughs> only recently has has slipped. It is now the second best show on television <laughs> after Paw Patrol, and yeah. uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> after the Genevieve's Playhouse episodes where they. They play with Paw Patrol toys, <laughs> with, <laughs> not Paw Patrol show itself, which is not as good. <laughs> and um, and uh, Mark, do you have a do you have an opinion that you you either want to amplify or uh, back off from? Yeah, I mean, I've ca- I've admitted in the past on this show that the Mar- I thought that the Marvel Cinematic Universe would uh, collapse under its own weight, and I 
And I admitted that that was wrong. Um, I want to revisit that and revise that original statement and say, like, eventually over the long haul, that will become true. Um, and then to be clear, like when I made it, the spirit of that and probably the specific content of it was for the near term. Right. I probably did that in the aftermath of the Thor movie, which I thought was very boring and not good and full of this uh, gesture to all this cosmology that I thought would absolutely not pay off. And um, in the latter Marvel Cinematic Universe in the state that we're in right now, um, I feel like uh, the cosmology is getting to a point that is all very complicated and will be very hard to sustain audience interests. Um, now, this is also very biased by um, my own personal experience was that, you know, now, you know, after uh, Avengers Endgame came out, I had not one but two children. So it's very difficult to go out to see all these stupid movies all the time. <laughs> you keep up with all of this. So, like, for me, the Marvel Cinematic Universe now your transformation under, is complete. Yeah. What? You haven't seen Eternals? What? I actually have seen that. Not in the theater, though. Uh, regrettably, yeah, I saw it on Disney Plus and streaming at home. Um, and it's not very good. I've been halfway um, through that movie for three years. <laughs> yes, it's, yeah, yeah, I go yeah. back to it every once in a while and make five minutes of progress. I mean, it's, oh, it's not terrible, right? That's the thing. Like, there, a few of them are, are truly like very are, are, are heinous and terrible. Um, but uh, they no longer um, feel like they are beyond the sum of their parts, uh, like the, the that initial run. All right, was. I want to get to I want to get to two more of these. Um, one. Uh, uh, from, uh, sorry, that was from, uh, that was from, uh, uh, discord user Redbeard. um, from, uh, discord user Lon Chaney, the third, uh, what is your favorite movie released the year that you, the answerer of the question, uh, were born? Pete, you were born like me in, in 1980, right? Oh yeah. 1980 is a weird year for movies, man. Weird year for movies. Like looking at it, there's not a lot of huge popular movies from 1980 that stand out to me whenever they do that thing of oh you know the the what was the number one movie the the uh, week that you were born you know people sort of post all this stuff because of course oftentimes back in the day the number one movie would say the number one movie for a while but there were also a bunch of them whereas now it might be the same movie for a long time or it might switch like very rapidly but i always felt a little out of place because the number one movie when i was born is Smokey and the bandit 2 when and I haven't even wait, seen you mean Smokey like the and the Bandit week, 1. The week that you were born. Yes, it came okay, out. Smokey it. and the Bandit 2 came out the day I was born. Got it. Uh, and I don't know if you know this, but I mean, we talked about this on the podcast before, but the Bandit, uh, what is it? The Bandit Frog and so-and-so are at it again in the new adventures, et cetera, et cetera. But anyway, um, looking through it, I've, I've actually seen, I've seen the stage play versions of like, half of the movies from 1980 that I've seen, which is kind of weird, like ordinary people or like uh, playing for time. Right. But I will say that my favorite movie just, I did attempt recently whilst on an airplane to watch the blues brothers movie, which is weird. The blues brothers movie. What is, what are the, what's the deal with the blues brothers? Are they funny? Are they supposed to be funny? Like, I'm not even saying that as like a joke. Like I really don't know what the Blues Brothers are trying to do. They're on like, a mission. I, they're on a mission from God. Not like the characters, quality characters in the movie. <laughs> they're supposed to be deadpan while chaos ensues around them, and then That's also the like the white white people singing uh, R and B. See, okay, so see that that whole thing that it's like there's a it's a joke that white people are singing R and B music. Like nowadays, I totally don't pick that up from watching the movie. That that's like a di- like because it's also not something I would think is funny. 
Um, and so the movie is like long stretches of not funny and kind of like art filmy stuff. But of course, you know, it's almost like a more of a 70s movie. I mean, when they sing Rawhide in the biker bar, that's that's kind of funny. You know? That's true. That's true. And again, I'm not saying it's bad. I, it, it definitely felt like work watching the Blues Brothers movie. But I would say not even close to the number one. My favorite movie from the year that I was born is Airplane. Oh, uh, you still mine. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. Because I, I was, was going to say the other big one. I was right? going to do a whole thing. I was going to do a whole thing where, like, what is the best movie versus oh, go, what go, go. is well, you go ahead. versus what is my favorite movie? And my yeah. favorite movie, hundred percent, is Airplane. Yeah, right. released in released in in 1980. Like, this is above The Empire Strikes Back, which is the number one movie of 1980. Yeah, no doubt. Yes, um, yes. Uh-huh. that was. But like, okay, let me read some movies from 1980: The Empire Strikes Back, The Shining, Raging Bull, The Elephant Man. Airplane, The Blues Brothers, Caddyshack in 1980, Superman 2, right, uh, right. Ordinary People, The Gods Must Be Crazy. Okay, Oh, that one's great. Yeah, that's my second. I've, I'm taking that as my, since you drafted, uh, you drafted Airplane already, I'm taking The Gods Must Be Crazy, which uh, my my mother used to show me on um, on VHS tape. You know, we, we had, I think, a copy of it when at home, and so it was one of those things that we... Uh, that we watched a lot. That's a that's a good movie. Um, Friday the Thirteenth, the original Friday the Thirteenth. Uh, uh, jo- John Carpenter's The Fog. Um, let's see. Now, now they're getting a little more. They're getting a little more obscure as I'm going down this list. That I think the original is- Mad Max is from 1980. Oh, okay. There well, actually, go. no, it came out in 1979. Sorry, but I guess it might be a sort of an international thing. Like, when did it come out in the U.S.? Like that kind of thing. Uh. Uh, Flash Gordon, Coal Miner's Daughter, the Loretta Lynn documentary starring Sissy Spacek. Um, these are all done by uh, uh, Nine to Five, with uh, which I watched recently and is delightful. <laughs> it's mm. absolutely delightful. Um, yeah, the the these are this is organized by IMDb rating, so it has a it has a bit of a uh, uh, a bit of an odd kick in its in its gallop. Um, Heaven's Gate. Uh, directed by Michael Cimino, which is not as bad as people think it is. It's, <laughs> you know, I don't know. After the Deer Hunter, it was like he can do whatever he wanted, and this, this is the the you know he sort of got a blank check, and this is what he uh, this is what he did with it, and it was a uh, I think a flop. But um, in retrospect, is not bad. It is work though because it's four hours long. Um, yeah, okay, Mark. Do you, do you have have I vamped? Have I shucked and jived enough to give you time to look up uh, movies the year you were born? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, let's do it. 1982, guys. Okay. 1982, big year. Uh, there's a lot to choose from here. Um, uh, it's a bumper year for sci-fi movies. Star Trek II, Wrath of Khan, um, E.T., Tron. I was not a big fan of Tron, actually. Um, let's see here. Um, the Thing, uh, which is amazing, but so incredibly disturbing and scary. Um <laughs> Blade Runner. I feel the same with, way oh, about Oh God, Book Two from 1980. <laughs> Wait, is that Oh God, You Devil, or is that? Uh, or is no, that, no, no, no. It's okay. not Oh God, You Devil. It's it's that's 84. Sorry, go ahead, Mark. Um, Blade Runner came out in 1982, and I've probably been on this podcast as well too, saying I've never been that big of a fan of Blade Runner. Kind of just don't get it. Um, but no, none of those are. Some of those are probably like what I could say is the best movie from 1982, at least from my opinion. Probably the thing. Um, again, it is incredible. Um, but no, my favorite movie that came out from 1982 is not science fiction. It is, in fact, a musical, a little musical called Grease 2. Oh, wow. It is a riot. It is horrible, but it is an absolute riot to watch. Um, it is pretty bonkers. Um, 
uh, it stars Michelle Pfeiffer, um, who is just fine in it. But uh, this is the whole thing. You guys remember um, the, the the bizarre coincidence I found that connect Grease 2 to Terminator 2? I wrote about this on, on the site. Yeah, Anyone yeah, remember? it has the same motorcycle stunt manager, right? Yeah, there's like a motor, there's like an iced out motorcycle, the same motorcycle stunt manager, um, uh, iced out uh, motorcyclist with like the the aviator sunglasses, you know, basically looking like the the T1000 at the end of Terminator 2 as well. And to cap it all off, um, one of the big songs from the end uh, of the movie is goes like, if I could turn back the hands of time, right? Wow. I mean, uh, yeah. How incredible is that? James Cameron, an uncredited co-writer on the uh, on Grease Two, the you know, could be, could be. I've I've never found conclusive proof that says that it wasn't a coincidence. Although the aforementioned stunt coordinator, yeah, uh, who was connecting to it, wrote to us and said that there's yeah. no connection. Yeah, it was funny because he wrote to us and con- confirmed that he's like he's the connection, but that there is no connection. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which I thought was just really interesting. We um uh, okay. Last one. Uh, last one. Then this one. Uh, this one can be shorter. I, if you uh, if you have one. Um, je- user Jellyfent asks. Uh, I've been listening to you guys since my university days, and I'm in the workforce now. Any tips for the younger lads on life? Any advice for young people? Um, yes, the advice is don't do anything we say or do. Don't, don't, do not, do not follow us to the devil. Go, go on, go on your own path because we're on a, we're on a one-way Disney cruise and we all know where that, <laughs> we, we all know where that goes. No, uh, se- uh, seriously, younger, younger lads on life. Pete, do you have anything for them? Sure. So my number one piece of advice I, I guess my my minor piece of advice is that sleep is more important than you think it is, and you should be getting sleep. Uh, and and things that get in the way of you getting sleep, you should stop doing. But getting getting aside from that sort of advice, my my number one piece of advice for for younger people is uh, have meetings, have them with yourself, have people that you talk to about stuff. And what I mean by this is that I, at least for me, and I think you guys have probably experienced this as well in one way or another, everybody has things that represent their blind spots in life. Uh, whether it's, you know, something about your, your job or, you know, how you manage money or how you feel like money manages you or, you know, um, your health, you know, or, or, but I think mostly stuff like stress over like necessities, Right. And sort of short, medium and long term planning when you have really limited resources and also when everything feels very emotionally charged. Um, And while we've talked a couple of times about the book, The War of Art and how it recommends kind of going pro as a solution for the anxieties, the resistance you feel in endeavoring upon the creative uh, creative projects that might change your life. The real lesson I or the real not lesson, the real advice I would give is to apply that sort of thing to the things in your life that give you trouble that aren't as highfalutin. Yep. Um, you know, like like, you know, my like, like just, grocery shopping. Yeah. Yeah. Like grocery shopping. Yep. Like like also, I mean, I guess part of this is like if there's a particular process that's really cumbersome and difficult for you and that you wish could be like automated and smoothed out because you feel like it would pr- fundamentally make your life better. Uh, don't do that. Do the difficult version of it. And I specifically am referring to budgeting, you know, like go through your money 
however much or little it is. And I've been on both sides in the extreme. You know, I've lived out of a carton of eggs for a week and I've, you know, bought a house. So like, you know, I kind of, I feel like I know uh, how it goes in a couple of different respects in that case. Like, and the emotions just get so overwhelming in terms of being able to make, apply your ability to make smart decisions to the stuff that you have in your life. If you make an appointment for yourself, have maybe somebody you talk to about it, whether it's like a friend or family member or something, and force yourself to deal with it on a routine, even when you don't want to, force yourself to go through that Excel sheet and write down, not just like using an integrated software tool, but like write down everything you spent money on in the last month, type it into a spreadsheet and see what it is. That's the only thing that's really worked for me in terms of managing that area of my life. So you're saying, you're saying Pete, not just have meeting, you're saying have standing meetings, have standing meetings that are routines where you go over things that specifically you find to be emotionally difficult to address Mm. in the time that you have. Yes. Uh, and, and like, it's sort of a pay yourself first sort of method. (laughs) I mean, like with podcast, the podcast is a standing meeting and it happens because it's a standing meeting. If we had to figure out, don't take mine, don't take mine, don't take mine. Oh, sorry. We've been simpatical for too long, Matt. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. The mind, the 15 year mind meld is complete. It's I'm sorry. I know it's a, it's a scary place in here, Pete, and I'm sorry you've had to share it with me all this, all this time. It's all good, man. You know, it's, uh, uh, if, if if we're going to be on this Disney cruise, let's chip and dale it up, right? So, um, <laughs> no one will remember which one had the red nose when all is done. Uh, God, I can't. I can't even think that. Uh, Mark, uh, Mark, advice for the younger lads on life? Oh, Mark, you're still muted. <laughs> this, uh, okay, okay, okay. This okay. Is a Zoom, I'm Zoom back, call. I'm back, I'm back. Is this is this Mark? Is Mark on this Zoom call? Hi, this is Matt zooming in. Mark, uh, advice for the younger lads? Yep, I'm going to shame seal, stump, seal something that you've advised on multiple occasions, Matt, what? which is to pick up, pick up the phone. Oh, Call. okay. Right, if you're if because like um, all of us, um, but younger folks in particular, have been so accustomed to dealing with things, intermediate kind of just sanding away all the rough edges of human interaction through apps and text messaging and things like that. Um, and many times, uh, you just need to pick up the phone and have a conversation, uh, not even a difficult one, but just like a nuanced one with the human being to solve a problem around, like, for example, like, you know, how to get something fixed, how to get an appointment. Um, you know, whether, how yeah, to- whether the doctor takes your insurance was a huge one for me. That's why I wrote that article actually, because oh, like yeah. I spent like three hours on 20 websites oh. trying to figure out if the doctor took my insurance and then I called them and it was answered in 10 seconds. I, I had this exact situation. Yeah. Booking a, a, a dentist appointment for my kids. It's like on ZocDoc. Oh, this is so convenient. I can just, you know, go to a website and just like have a structured way to make an appointment uh, rather than deal with a filthy human being over the phone. And of course they have this like stupid interface where you're trying to like search for health insurance. Anyway, y- yes, all that happened. I picked up the phone. It's like, Oh yeah, I'll take that insurance. I don't know why it's not showing up in the ZocDoc search. Yeah. I a hundred percent. I think that's, I think that's very wise. Okay. I'll give mine very, very quickly. Jelly fan for the, for the younger lads, uh, the younger lads and lasses as well. Um, the quality of life is determined by the quality of your relationships. So put time and energy and money into your relationships. Um, by money, I mean like fly to see, fly to see your friends. If you, for example, live in Los Angeles and a lot of your, your closest group of friends are, um, are in, you know, the Northeast, right? Like, uh, but invest, well, I don't want to say invest. I'm sorry too. I think that that metaphor is bad, um, and wrong. <laughs> and uh, people who use it are prioritized and wrong. 
Yeah, prioritize, but then also make sacrifices for it. Put time and energy sure. in, you yeah. know, like uh, put time and energy into relationships. Relationships where the the people, the counterparts in them, whether they're like romantic partners or whether they're close friends, like they're also putting time and energy into it. Don't do it. Don't do it in a one-sided way. Like don't date like that. Don't have friendships like that. Don't have family relationships like that. But the, the like when you find, you know, when you find, uh, uh, oh God, it's Polonius and Hamlet, isn't it? Those, those friends that you've, you've found and they're, they're something tried, uh, you know, when you have, find good friends, grapple them to your hearts with, uh, hoops of steel and, uh, put, put time and energy. Now, do not start a podcast. <laughs> because that's our thing <laughs> like and that you know we don't need more we don't need more competition because yours would almost certainly be uh be better than us but like real talk i kind of shudder to think what you know i what i'd be missing out on like because the the overthinking it crew you know this is this is the the triumvirate um that has been most reliable on the podcast uh you know, in, in recent years, but you know, it's, it's a 15 year history and there've been a lot of people who have come through these, uh, these virtual doors and, you know, we remain close with almost all of them and like in, in pretty regular contact with, uh, with almost all of them. And that has been so enriching, um, in my life. Right. And that, like, I, I, I shudder to think about the things I would have missed out on if we had just not done that. You know, if you had not, if, if we had not kind of put the time and the energy and the work and the writing and the late nights and the arguments and the disagreements and the, uh, flying back and forth across the country and the podcast recordings and the, you know, all that, if we hadn't put that, uh, into, um, uh, if we hadn't put that into maintaining the relationships, the quality of your life uh, depends on the quality of the relationships that you uh, create and sustain and nourish. So uh, that is uh, my advice for the for the youngsters. All right, we're going to leave it there. Uh, more, I mean, less a less of a Q and A, more of a of a discussion uh, next week, and um, we'll be uh, we'll be back with <laughs> with episode eight hundred. <laughs> Uh, so thanks, uh, thanks everyone who stuck with us this far. Stick with us for one more, one more. Well, I don't know, guys. Should this be the last one? Uh, maybe this should be the last one. Now we're no, gonna come let's back. Do we're one co- more show. <laughs> one more show. Uh, well, if the roadies don't mind and the union don't mind and the promoter don't mind, we'll uh, we'll be back next week with more Overthinking Podcast. Till then, visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It, it probably, probably doesn't, doesn't deserve. It didn't have uh, Matt dropping a Jackson Brown lyrics reference on the <laughs> card for tonight. All right.